Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello there and welcome to Podcast 141. I'm Dan Moylan. I've got with me Michael Normanson. Hello. I've got with me Moscow White, Daniel Chapman. Hello. Summer special all sold out now, but you can still get the digital version on the website along with subscriptions for the 2019-2020 Championship Promotion, Centenary, League Winning, Glorious Season. Everything you need for that is at thesquareball.net. As you can tell from my tone, I'm very optimistic about it. We'll have a look at the uh, the start of the season in this podcast because we were actual proper football games coming up. Are you excited? Massively. We've played some proper football games, sort of. Well, let's wrap up the tail end of pre-season then. How do you think it went pre-season? I mean, Michael, you missed it. You were away, weren't you? Uh, yes, but I presume we beat Man United. It's an interesting presumption. If I told you that one of their central defenders scored against us, how would you feel? Was it Gary Pallister? I've not really kept up to date with him. Probably even less likely than Gary Pallister coming back into their side and scoring it. Yeah, Phil Jones direct from a corner. It was fine. It was fine. I mean, we didn't read anything into that game, did we? So obviously we're not going to read anything whatsoever into the Calgary game. It's difficult to read anything into anything that's happened in pre-season, but it was like that last year. I kind of have this uh, pleasant fog of just of disinterest in pre-season, but I think my favourite pre-season games are the ones that were played behind closed doors because there was nothing to kind of get upset about or annoyed about or worried about. Everything was just fine. But then when you do have... Uh, half a squad in Sardinia playing a 1-1 draw with Cagliari while other first team players, Alioski, Jack Harrison, who's been probably the best player in pre-season, is invisible because he's playing at Manchester City Stadium. All very strange and difficult. You have to kind of put it to- back together in your imagination. And if you do that, we win the league. What do you think happened? Why did we play that Girona game? The whole preseason has been a bit odd, how we've had the squad kind of split across continents for some of it and Obviously, Klitsch has been been bitching about it on Instagram, I've noticed as well. I think it's become a little running joke that he didn't get to go to Australia. But it does seem very strange that we're doing this. I can only assume it's something to do with fitness. Normally, as with Bielsa. It's minutes, isn't it? That's It's minutes in legs. And uh, I think the actual practice, the plans for what we're going to do next season happens at Thorpe Arch and probably those murder ball sessions and such, I think have more value to Bielsa than certainly... Reports were that he wasn't particularly impressed about going to Australia, although he he signed up for it last April or whatever it was. You touched on it in the podcast that we did with Graham Smith um, from the YP, the um, the preseason preview um, podcast. That actually the whole thing is in Bielsa's mind, like it was with the Stoke game last year. We had no idea what to expect in preseason last year, and then suddenly Stoke came around, and oh wow! Yeah, I mean, Leif Davis is highly unlikely to start against Bristol. So it'll probably be 
somebody who played at Manchester City, either uh, Barry Douglas or Alioski. Um, so it's weird. There's only really Bielsa would think I'm not going to give my proposed first team, first match lineup a run out together. But they'll get that run out on midweek this week at Thorpe Arch where, um, where nobody can see. It does seem odd that we've not ever tried to get the actual first 11 on the pitch together at any point. But Biel, it's like we were saying the other day, when it's Bielsa, you kind of go, okay, maybe this is fine. If Dave Hockaday had done this, we'd be absolutely tearing into him right now saying he, he doesn't know what he's doing. But that's because he didn't. Bielsa does. <laughs> absolutely true, that one. Well, the most interesting thing to come out of pre-season, we played this at Calgary, was the slight tweak in formation. Again, which we touched on in the Graham Smith podcast. There seems to be a little flip towards this three at the back. three three one three. Bielsa's favoured formation. It's ideal when you've got no centre-backs to play three at once and have, a, and have a formation that hinges on it. He doesn't like centre-backs though. He doesn't see any point in having them, does he? He wants ball players. And there is a slight twist in this because we're not looking at if we are going to play three at the back because two of them are going to be quite wide. It opens up Ailing, Berardi, even Douglas, Dallas start to be a bit more like centre-half candidates. So we go from having two centre-halves who so can play in two traditional central defensive positions to having five who can fit into three and it starts to feel a little bit more healthy. And I think we saw with Barry Douglas as well, he did his best work at Wolves when he was in a more advanced role and maybe, so if if we do this three at the back and he's wide pushing further forward, then we might see a bit more out of him this time. It does seem the wings, if we go with that formation through the rest of the season, we're going to be a little bit more about the traditional Bielsa overload and switch thing that he likes to do. There's um, There's a really good example of it in one of the books about Bielsa's tactics and it's quite near the front. So probably a lot of people who've read any of that have not got bored by the time that's come through. It's a game against Switzerland in the World Cup where Switzerland went down to 10 players. They had players sent off in the first half and just went really defensive. So he chilly changed to having, they had a left back, a left wing back, a left winger and the striker and the number 10 both kind of tended to, to the left side as well. And they just attacked everything down there. But um, I was looking at it this morning and the uh, what happened was whenever Chile then had the ball, every 50 seconds that they had the ball on average, they switched to the other wing. So it was where Pablo was playing against Cagliari. So the idea was they're putting all these players down the left and then banging the ball to the other side so that the entire Switzerland defence had to go running all the way over to the other side of the pitch. And then you've got the ball at the feet of a magician who then finds a way of sending the ball running back the other way. And it's really difficult, even if you're a well-disciplined defence, to keep everybody aligned to stop creating gaps. So it wasn't just about crosses. It was about creating these gaps as they're going side to side across the pitch and then penetrating. So Click, and you could see against Cali, Click was getting more forward. Forshaw was getting more forward. So I'm wondering if this might be his response to some of the real deep defensive teams we saw last year is we just buy or make sure that the squad is filled with wingers on either side because we've got tons of them. And it means we can have three wingers going down one side, completely bamboozling um, Lee Peltier. And then it's the the sudden switch and then the uh, playmaker has the ball and things happen. And this is why we will thump Bristol City, but we will come on to that in a bit. Adam Forshaw is a right wing back. That's unusual. It's probably the position I'd least put him in. Was he not like an inside right though? I mean, Christ, <laughs> this, again, with tactics, not our forte. You might have noticed. You can pull his job down in that is that, so if we're attacking down the left and we were, the correlation was that Leif Davis and Helder Costa were both basically playing like left wingers. They were so close to each other. And every time Davis, whatever he did with the ball, 
if he was next to Costa, then he had that Bielsa shout, very good, Davies, very good. Um, and then the, the switch, and it's basically if the switch ball goes to Pablo, Forshaw is near him so that if he loses the ball, Forshaw wins it straight back. Or if, if a pass is to Bamford or to Click is intercepted, Forshaw's the one to then try and stop the breakaway. So rather than a right wing back, he's basically just, it's a little bit like, I used to like Brian Clough's instructions to right backs whoever played right back for Nottingham Forest, their job was basically defend the right side of the field. And I think that's kind of like you would say to Forshaw, it doesn't matter exactly where on the pitch he's going to put his feet, whether he's a right back or a right wing back or a inside right midfield or whatever. Just when Pablo's got the ball, if he loses it, win it back. If they try to attack, you stop them and, and do that on the right. That's an easy way of doing it. You've taught me into it. I can do tactics. <laughs> And there we go. It's like um, inverting the pyramid, this one, isn't it? It's, uh, it's that insightful. I'll be fascinated to see if any of that actually happens on Sunday. But uh, might just play 4 4 2. I don't know. Leeds United will play 4 4. We're still time to sign a big man, aren't we? Get, knock it up to him. The links with Jordan Huggle don't go away. So Huggle. I like Huggle. Yeah, we could have Huggle up front. And we will have Calvin Phillips because thankfully that's sending off at Calgary, which was a very, very harsh red card. The referee had the card out of his pocket before he'd even made the tackle. It was ridiculous. And then I love that he didn't even bother with uh, Berardi's tackle afterwards, which left the winger just quietly rolled off the pitch like, yep, yeah, I'm hurt. I'm just, just going to roll over here. Please. Scooping his innards back in. It wasn't even one of those where he was uh, rolling dramatically to try and get a, a card. He was just like, no, I, I need the doctor, please. But not a, not a whisper from the referees. Like, yep, fair tackle, throw in. And you've got to give credit to us in this game, the Cagliari game, the fact that we pretty much dominated a Serie A team. I thought we were fine. Like, there was a bit of um, unhappiness about the way they scored their goal, but it's quite a well-taken goal. It was just sometimes teams will score against you, was, and that's yeah, fine. Spo- spoiler alert, we are going to concede some goals this year, yeah. as we do every season. What we will also probably do is miss chances and be a bit frustrating, as we were in this game as well. We could do is stop him missing the chances. I can kind of put up with the conceding chances, because, you know, we're playing nice attacking football, but there's not a lot of points in nice attacking football when um, people who are unnamed will not blame anyone in particular when our attacking players can't score. They will score. They will score. They'll be fine. And the thing that was okay about Pat Bamford in this was that um, he didn't miss any, like, glaring sitters. There were only a couple of, like, decent chances that he uh, that he messed up. Um, but there was nothing really where you could point at him. and Well done, Pat. Yeah, basically, it's an improvement. He's saving it for the Bristol game. Yes, and if he does it in the Bristol game, all that pre-season will be forgotten. The tail end of last season will be forgotten. It'll be a clean sheet for him, won't it? A, a clean slate rather, not a clean sheet. Thoughts overall on the conclusion of pre-season then as we hurtle towards the start of the season. Are we all ready? Have we done enough? Do we need to do more? Got absolutely no idea. Because a lot depends on what happened at the Girona game as well, because that had Dallas, Harrison, Alioski, who were pretty much first team players. Mijic might be our first team goalkeeper, depending on what happens over the next week. And that looked from a from the behind trying to fit the lineup in. It looked like another three three one three or a three one three three, similar to what they were doing at Cagliari, but with Harrison as striker. So it's still got that possibility. We're going to start with Harrison as the main striker. He took his goal well against Girona. The, the brief highlights of this were quite entertaining because uh, Girona were desperate to make Saiz look good, um, but you can't make him look good with the amount of timber he was packing into that shirt. It was nice to see him and Alioski reunited. But as we said at the start, we've got that weird situation where we've not seen what we think will be the first team. We've only seen brief bits of some games. We've seen too much of others. So who even knows? But like last year, the last preseason match was Las Palmas. 
at Elland Road. And I remember it was um, Saiz being hauled off and Lewis Baker coming on and I think it was a 1-0 win and we just didn't look good at all. And then we went and made complete fools of Stoke. I think pre-season is a little bit like like the reserve team doing well. It's sort of nice to have, but it's actually more important that they're doing things that are going to mean something when it means something. Whereas then, you know, we could win. If you win every game 17-0, Dave Hockaday style, it's a nice vanity thing, but it's maybe more important that players are learning how to play certain roles. It does change everything up. The fact that they were charging five quid or seven quid to watch these games, I think puts more onus on them to perform in some of them. And that's why I was saying the ones I preferred out of this are the ones I didn't see because it kind of takes you back a little bit to pre-seasons of old where you might get the scoreline on club call um, and you just know that, oh yeah, we beat we beat Shelburne 3-0. It's fine. I don't actually need to have the granular information of what happened. Well, it was Wilkinson, so it'll probably be playing four four two. Or you know, he he moved to three at the back and wing backs as well. But you didn't you didn't need to know before the actual season started. And then it's like, oh, that's what they've been doing. Just like in the nineteen ninety six League Cup final when we went three at the back to huge success. Exactly like that. Thank you to you for all the feedback on the John Helm special on the Extra Ball. We'll be bringing you the best bits of that onto this, the main podcast feed in just a bit. The Extra Ball is our other podcast that we do. And thank you so much for getting behind us. If you have uh, subscribed to it already, it's $2.99 a month. Your first month is free if you fancy checking it out. This week, we're going to be looking at this. Controversial one, but do you think Bielsa's naivety is what's going to cost us this season, starting the season with just Ben White and Liam Cooper at the back? Loads more on there as well. And if you do fancy getting involved with the square ball, you'll find all the details at the squareball.net forward slash the extra ball. At least we're not going to see a repeat of all the injuries last year, lads, eh? This is good news. Clean slate, start the season. That's good. Who's out already then? We've got what Roof we know is out for best part of a month. The Roof and Ailing are both out for, yeah, several games. Shackleton, what's going on there? Don't, I've not really heard. I was trying to look up what's wrong with him. He's disappeared. Well, somebody screenshotted some direct messages. I think it was on uh, Instagram that seemed to suggest it might be two to three months. But was that doctored using Photoshop software? Someone sent us um, a screenshot of Danny Welbeck on his way to Leeds, discussing his move to Leeds today. So I think these things are possible. Yeah, Shackleton and uh, BPF are the two that kind of faded from view without a word. There was some word of uh, Peacock Farrell was recovering from something, but nobody knew he was hurt in the first place. Your hate, hateful messages you send him. I don't send him messages. Well, or maybe unless he can read thoughts. Burnley-itis, is that what's been afflicting him? Is it like when uh, I'm still concentrating on ESP? That's when Prince would only communicate with Sheena Easton by ESP. She was expected to like read his mind. He wouldn't speak to her. So maybe if Bailey Peacock-Farrell is like Prince in in that way. He may turn out in goal in the first game of the season if he doesn't get this move to Burnley with a bucket on his head and slave written across his cheek. Maybe he's had a rib removed. Maybe that's his injury. Have we got a purple goalkeeper kit for the new season, especially made for him? Did not Chilino not destroy all those? Uh... Well, he can he can express himself now. Bailey Prince Farrell can uh, come out. He doesn't have to be simple anymore. BPF, I suppose, is its own kind of simple. I wonder if, I bet he... Uh, I bet his pencil case at school is absolutely covered with like logographic versions of the BPF as like a, as a family coat of arms. I'd love to see that. Maybe he can show it to his new mates at Burnley. What started out as a bit of a joke here about you and um, Bravo Papa Foxtrot. Have you genuinely developed quite a grievance against that young man? No. I mean, if he leaves, then yes, obviously, because as Giuseppe Belusky said, fuck all those who do not love the Leeds. While he's a Leeds player... The, the video in question, as I always maintain, was meant to protect him. 
from being thrown in into the hiking bottom team when everybody was saying, Veedvald's no good, Lonergan's no good, let's just try Bailey Peacock-Farrell, how bad can he be? And I went and genuine research, because I'd heard mixed reports, bad reports about how he'd got on, on loan at York. So I was like, I'll have a look and see how that looks and how it looked was terrible. And uh, I defend like, no, if you go through the replies on that original video where I said, all I said was, I've looked at his games at York, putting him into the championship might not be a good idea. And there is not a single person underneath disagreeing. And most of them are saying, fucking hell, don't let him anywhere near the team. He's getting defensive, Michael, have you heard him? But I've been happy to see him growing, progressing as a player now, uh, an international for Northern Ireland, who he also lets down on a regular basis. Um, but he, yeah, he's been, he's become just like an interesting, stern, like a David Siemens shaped head, but with like John Lukic's expression, which has been fascinating. But him throwing a slight collie wobble about whether he's going to be the starting goalkeeper over summer, I thought was uh, perhaps getting ahead of himself. And if he wants to go and move to Burnley and sit on their bench, because he's not going to be starting for them, that's his lookout. And he just becomes another ex-Leeds United goalkeeper who will probably haunt us for 20 years and be brilliant for win a World Cup for Northern Ireland. Michael, would you shed any tears if he left? Not at all, really. I, I know, I'm aware Moscow's job is to, to hate on him. I just don't think he's very good. And I've not seen any real signs that he's worth three, four million quid or whatever Burnley are offering, apparently. I would personally take it. Don't know about the two. I do find it bewildering. Like, if they need a goalkeeper, there's got to be, and with that money, like League One or League Two, there's got to be like a goalkeeper playing 40 games a season who is actually genuinely looks like they don't, without turning this into criticism of Bailey Peacock Farrell, there's got to be a goalkeeper in the, the bottom two divisions who plays regularly and looks great. And three million quid, four million quid would get them. Kieran Westwood is the one that always springs to mind because I remember he was brilliant. He was like a curse against us for Carlisle, wasn't he? He has been a few times for Sheffield Wednesday as well. But if they want to buy Bailey Peacock Farrell off us for, for what we considered to be too much money, maybe they've got a goalkeeper coach who can turn him into the next Joe Hart. Maybe Joe Hart can turn him into the next Joe Hart if he's still there. But it just, um, it is that stage of, uh, yeah, I'd rather have the five million quid if really if they're offering. And from what Graham Smith was saying in the podcast that we did, it will take an outgoing perhaps to um, stimulate an incoming at Ellen Road. So if we do get four or five million, whatever for Bailey Peacock, Farrell, do we then spend it on someone? And if so, who? Is it Ryan Kent? I'd like it to be. It'd be nice to have more. Mind you, I want a centre-back really, but I know Bielsa doesn't. So I need to just get this idea out of my head. It's the childish dream of mine that we'll have, we'll have more centre-backs. Um, yeah, Kent, I think he's, well, we've spoke yesterday to Graham Smith and he's a Rangers fan and he was saying he was, Brilliant last year, and he thinks he would do well in the uh, in the championship. So yeah, I would be happy with him. Whether or not we'd get him for as little as that, yeah, I think he, sure. I think he'd take twenty million or something that they're talking about ridiculous. But that's I suppose in a world where BPF is worth five million, what are we saying about? I don't, uh, I don't necessarily agree. I think what we're seeing um, this year is that these massive outlandish fees have been paid by Premier League clubs largely, and then you can see the step down because people are saying, "Why did you only get five point five million for?" The Pontus Janssen, when you've got other centre-backs going you know, up to the Premier League for 20 million and 25 million, it's, it's just the amount of money that people have got, isn't it? And, and I suspect that if it were to be that only championship clubs are coming in for him, maybe it's one with parachute payments that goes for him. Otherwise, if it's someone like Leeds that he wants to come to, then they're going to have to do a deal, aren't they? Yeah, the most likely scenario that was turning out is that nobody will try to sign him at the price Liverpool want to get him for. And then the loan window in Scotland is an extra month so Rangers basically have another month to to either buy him or just say, 
you've not been able to sign him. So you'll just have to loan him to us for another season, whether you like it or not. So they're really in pole position to get him again. But he does seem to be the one that Bielsa still wants. I wondered if we'd got Jack Clark back instead of getting him um, and filled up the squad that way. But then Bielsa went and watched him against Bradford after that. So I guess he's still hankering for him the way he no longer hankers for Daniel James. I have to say on Daniel James, I mean, we did um, skirt round this on the previous podcast when Rob was here, when Michael was on holiday, but he looked every inch a championship player in that Man United team. And I know maybe, maybe this is bitterness on my part that we didn't get him, but you saw his decision-making and you thought, yep, he'd fit in in our team. He'd fit in at championship level. And you could see the difference between the decisions that he was making in that friendly in terms of like, you know, he's breaking through on the, on the left and you think, oh God, here we go. But he was making some really poor passes and um, just some weird decisions. Yeah, decision-making, I think, has been the thing that has, uh, it separates the championship from the Premier League. I'm quite happy we didn't get him now. If it, it may have cost us promotion last season, but putting that side, I'm glad we didn't go back for him because we got Helder Costa instead, who I see as the finished Daniel James. Like He's 25, he's experienced, he knows what he's doing, been there, done it, played in the Premier League, come down again. Played for Portugal. He's just got a lot more about him, whereas Daniel James, Man United are going to have to work on him to get him up to the standard they needed. We would probably have to work on him to get him up to the standard we need. And he's got, if it's pace is what we were looking for, because that's really all he had to offer in the championship is pace and bad decisions. It's like the Huckabee of uh, Division 2. We've got that in Costa, who can hopefully make better decisions and we don't have to wait for him to kind of grow up. And It's kind of the reverse um, argument of Ben White, where... I suppose Ben White actually has played a lot more games. Ben White's played three seasons in League Two than League One, whereas Daniel James, as far as I can tell, he only played last season was the first time he'd really played. So. It was odd that because he was 21 as well. So it's not, I know it is young, but it's not 16, 17, bursting onto the scene kind of age, is it? So we've not really played any games until then. Suggest maybe. What I'm saying is Man United have bought a player based on one season is actually shit. Yeah, he's going to absolutely just uh, be terrible for them. It's under the Jesper Vlonkfist part two. I'm <laughs> a lot bitter anyway. Yeah, I love how we're rewriting history. Yeah, I just it's more in hope more than expectation. Yeah, gloss over the uh, winning the league last season with him. Doesn't matter now. Didn't want him anyway. Uh, these rumours of uh, Kiko Casilla going back to Spain. Do you think there's anything in that? I don't reckon there is. Do you? It'd be interesting if we got rid of both of them. <laughs> Very Bielsa to do, wouldn't it? Yeah. Can, you, can you legally play without a goalkeeper? Just don't name one. I'm not sure about that. I think you may have to. Uh... You can name an outfield player though, can't you? I did notice uh, there was a contract announced for one of our young players, and they they mentioned that. Harrison Mayle, as we thought he was, signed one earlier in the season, but it came with a pronunciation instruction. It's Marley. It's going to take a while for me to stop calling him Harrison Mayle and get used to Harrison Marley. I don't know if it's a bucket bouquet uh, situation, but um, that's related to goalkeepers. So I, I say that's relevant. And Tom Pierce to Barnsley as well. He's one who's never quite made it. He's never quite made the crossover into the first team when you consider uh, Jamie Shackleton, say, and Calvin Phillips and so on. It feels quite sort of retro hour players going off to smaller Yorkshire clubs. It feels like it's sort of 1998 all over again or something. I feel like Bradford are going to come in for some of them. And, uh, they took Paudi O'Connor, didn't they? Of course they He's did, gone yes. there permanent. But yeah, I don't know. Good luck to him, I suppose. He's not He's not anywhere near our first team, is he, given we have about 10 left-backs now? Yeah, I think we're seeing what happens with youth prospects that sometimes gets forgotten is that they, they can't all make it even after getting into the first team because Tom Pierce and O'Connor looked really good. They were the only good things about the heck and bottom months. Um, and you'd think, oh yeah, like Tom Pierce will be our left back for the next 20 years. And then, you know, he's all right. Like he's Barnsley think he's championship standard, but he's no Alioski. He's no Danny Welbeck either. That rumour 
Still hasn't quite died because he still hasn't got a club, Danny Welbeck, but apparently asking for what, a, a billion pounds signing on fee and a hundred grand a week. Is that all he wants? It's like a Vernon Anita, just refusing to go anywhere for less than a fortune. Maybe we could give Danny Welbeck Bailey Peacock Farrell. Like not his wages, like clear it off, just give him Bailey Peacock Farrell. Just signing so like, on fee. Do you just want him? Here he is. Yes. And he can, it can be your, uh, what do you call it? Your man Friday, your valet, your personal butler. You can go in the garden and take shots at him. Boost your confidence as he lets them all in. Perfect. Yeah. It's like, um, yeah, you, instead of one of those inflatable goalkeepers that you stick for a training drill, just have Bailey Peacock Farrell. We keep mentioning Graham as well from the YUP, uh, the guy who has succeeded Phil Hay. And we met him, didn't we, yesterday? And we put out the podcast. If you haven't listened to that one yet, give it a listen. It's uh, it's quite informative. You learn about him and his background. And it was pleasing to see that learning about his... Uh, He's growing up being a Rangers fan, has gone down uh, well in some camps, not quite so well in others, maybe. It does tend to split people, that one. Uh, I did think when he said it, like, well, half the people will be pleased. So it splits people, it splits countries, it splits <laughs> cities, it splits uh, uh, religions in some, I guess we need to go all the way back. But that's on Graham. <laughs> Nothing to do with us. It was good to meet him, wasn't it? And uh, it'll be great to see how he gets on as well and how he manages to, to fend off the Twitter hordes. I think the Twitter was his main concern, really. I think he's he's not been able to really use his phone since taking the job. So maybe maybe lay off him. And you, Moscow, you're writing for them now, aren't you? The YUP, that's exciting. Me and Graham are effectively colleagues. You're not. All right. <laughs> you mean, can you fix the website? <laughs> that's, that's the main thing I'm looking forward to is uh, people not being able to read. What I write. Yes, a column... Every Tuesday, mentioned by uh, Phil Hay, apparently put this in motion, mentioned behind the scenes that I might be good to do this. And, um, and yeah, the, the editors at the YEP agreed and asked me if I'd be up for it. And what, like, what are you going to write about? Uh, dairy farming. Just Yorkshire issues, dry stone walls. It's, more, it's less a, a football column, more just like a, a Yorkshire diary. So if anybody has any tips about whether there's a tractor shortage um, near Hornbeam, or, uh, or maybe a, an incident on the, uh, an amusing incident. It's got to be a wry look at Yorkshire life. So if there's anything going on at, at Starbeck that you know about, or maybe looking at some of the amusing names of places in Yorkshire, the God's own country, as I'll be calling it in every column. That's obligatory, isn't it, when you're writing for the Yorkshire Post? Never mind the Yorkshire Evening Post. Oh, it's the Evening Post I'm doing, isn't it? No, yeah, it's uh, football. It's fine. Just Leeds United stuff, but um, hopefully different Leeds United stuff to the Leeds United stuff I write elsewhere. And that's going to be the interesting thing. So I've never really done, I do the match reports on the square ball and I still will be. And I do the square ball week at the end of the week on the square ball and I still will be, but I've, not, I've never done, this is coming out on Tuesdays. So it's going to be that like, start of the week stuff. And in the fast moving, ever changing world of championship football, I mean, it's a whole wealth of uh, interesting subjects for me to get my teeth into with, I think it described me as like having a irreverent take. You should do a stuff. book. That's what you should do next. A you book. think? Mm. What's wrong with the one I've done? Have you done take. a book? I've done a book. We're going to talk about that more next week, aren't we? But um, yes, 100 years of Leeds United. Leeds United I now have a copy. Very thick. Very good. Very nice. Yeah, if you need, because it's out on August the 8th. So it's in time for if there is like a late flurry of wasps that you need to deal with. This is an effective wasp killer. I do have a wasp's nest in one of my vents at home. Well, now you've got a copy of this book, you'll be able to just set amongst them, get in there, batting them all off. It's probably not heavy enough to kill them, it'll, so it's still reasonably humane, but they'll get the message, they'll get a headache and they'll, they'll piss off. 
Yeah, look on my Twitter. I think the pinned tweet has the details of the book. And then underneath you can see all the, the preview copies and see what a big weighty tome this actually is. I got a delivery of like 16 of them yesterday. So I've got them all on the shelf. Those are my first copies. So I'm quite excited. Well, and just to be sincere and not a prick for a minute, congratulations on the column. Um, and now to go back to being a prick, make it good. I'll do my best. And there's the documentary out as well, which is quite exciting slash uh, terrifying. Are we ready to to view that yet? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, really. be good to see what happened. Shame about the ending and all, but, you know, it's not often you get to see these sort of behind-the-scenes things, is it? So hopefully it'll show us a bit of a bit of unseen Bielsa, which is always nice. Now, Moscow, you will maintain a diplomatic silence on this because you used to work with the people who've made it. I need some critical distance, I think. Um, trailer looked good. Sure, it'll be interesting. See what we get in the full six-episode thing. Russell Crowe's voice, that excites me. Got a lot of bass. Russell Crowe. The Sunderland one was um, interesting. I think that was that was put out in a season where they thought they'd have a good season and it turned out to be an absolutely terrible season. So, And the chief exec guy in it came out was being particularly unlikable, I thought. So it'd be interesting to see who of the, the Leeds staff comes out as being a prick. Marcelo Bielsa, because he's done a sit-down interview, hasn't he, for this? So that's, that'll be interesting, if nothing else, because he doesn't do that. Did they, did they have to just convince him it was a very small press conference? <laughs> just some stooges stood in the background <laughs> just to make it look like, yeah, hands up, ready to ask some questions. Yeah, very, very good indeed. Moving on now then to the anonymous tip line. If you do want to drop us a message with some intel, try and make it true if possible. Keep us out of trouble. It's 07899 is our number. You can, if you fancy, record us a WhatsApp voice message and ping it through. We get a steady stream of them and it's really, really entertaining, particularly the ones that people send when they are slightly worse for wear. They're great, those ones. But yeah, do send us some stuff through. We've had some intel through from Phil, who was in Nerja in Spain. And apparently Kiko Casillas' brother works there as a taxi driver. Don't know how he came about this information. We're not prepared to fact check. Just we'll take that one at face value. I can see if he, if he asks, where are you from? And he say, oh, we're at Leeds. Well, oh, my brother is there. Uh, probably a lot of taxi drivers have that tale. <laughs> yes, my, my brother work, is he used a to Leeds play, famous player. He used to play for Real Madrid. Yes. If he was going to make it up, though, you'd make up your... Pablo's brother, wouldn't you? You know, a good player, rather than, rather than a player that everyone hates. Kiko's brother was a taxi driver, just bezzing round on the edge of town at high speed. Crashing. Never know quite where he's going to go. <laughs> yeah, he's miles away from the destination. It's like, is this not, not where you wanted to be? My friend Liam is over here. This one's quite interesting from James, and there is a genuine question at the root of this one. Uh, James plays six aside on a Thursday night in York, and he came up against a team who seemed to play Jack Clark, our very, well, Tottenham's very own Jack Clark anyway wasn't wearing shin pads and was getting booted quite a lot. People were trying to boot him, but he was too quick and too good. Uh, and he was asking, you know, is it like not a little bit daft the week before the season starts to be playing six aside with a bunch of cloggers, no offence, James, and um, potentially having your legs broken? I would think the club don't know about this. You'd, ha- you'd have to assume they will be not that pleased with it. Well, there's always like um, a no motorbikes clause in a lot of players' contracts, isn't there, because of the, the risk of injury. But David Batty famously had his bike and kind of defied it, I believe, did, believe, did he? Rolled into Thorpe Arch riding it, I think. And it reminds me of the John Sheridan story of him because uh, his brother was also a footballer and he went and played for his football, his brother's team um, on a Sunday. And um, they were playing, I think they were playing the local police. No, it was half time and they were, his brother's team were losing. So we played the second half and absolutely won the game. And the referee came up to him at the end and said, uh, oh, I'm, I'm also a scout for uh, the local FA. Like, you, you're a better player than uh, than this level. Why are you messing about here? Like, Give me a call and I'll, we can fix you up with the club. And this is like 1987. He's pretty much an Irish international. But he was so happy that uh, it wasn't just that he'd 
played this uh, this pub match. He was so happy with winning this pub match that he went um, on the piss for about three days and didn't see him back at Leeds for a short while. So, so a, quiet, a quiet weekend by his own standards. I don't know if Jack Clark also, if he uh, celebrated this win by getting on the Red Bull for a big night out afterwards. We'll see if he uh, faints on the bench. We might have some, uh, some clue as to what was going on. Who knows? Is it true? Was he really there? Um, don't mean to doubt James. Maybe it's a lookalike. There's a lot of sick-looking Victorian children around York. It might just be a, a complete coincidence. Maybe we should sign this Jack Clark imposter up. Do you think it's a risk worth taking, Michael? No. For God's sake, stop doing it. <laughs> Have you seen our injury list? Maybe this is the problem. Maybe they've all been doing this. And the, the whole that had a kick-in training thing. Maybe we're just trying to cover up the fact that Luke Ayling's down goals on a Tuesday night when we're playing on a Wednesday. It is bizarre because it all gives the impression. You see the photos of them all asleep on beanbags because they can't take Bielsa's pre-season. Um, I suppose maybe it says something for Jack Clark's recovery that if he's like, right, nope, I'm ready for a game of six aside now. Maybe he's just playing 24-7. Maybe he's going from game to game. It's all that Red Bull. It could be a bit, maybe, he's, I don't know what his character's like, but he might be a bit like Gaza, who apparently was having like five sets of tennis the night be- day before a World Cup semi-final and things because he just couldn't sit down. He was just full of, uh, full of energy. But I've never really got that from Jack Clark. Especially not when he was lying on the ground at the Riverside. <laughs> I love how you hold this against him so much. I don't hold it against they, him. I just think it's, you know, got poorly. it's a significant, it's the, the most significant event probably in his Leeds career so far. I guess the goal against Aston Villa was good. But yeah, it's uh, everything that he does or has done has to be seen through the prism of he could be very ill or he might be absolutely fine. A quick check-in now on the Godrod, the blasphemy baton, which was a thing we, let's face it, we made up when we took on Stoke in January. A test of God's preference because Nathan Jones, their manager, is heavily religious. They beat us, proving God's existence. It proved that Marcelo Bielsa wasn't God. Changed hands through victory. Ended up at Nottingham Forest, who went off to Greece for pre-season and it was taken off them by, who was it who took it off them? Olympiakos, wasn't it? Yes, there's two Olympiakoses. This was Olympiakos Piraeus. As opposed to... The other one. Who are... Um, do you want to wait while I Google it? I think there's only one. I think there's two. I was looking the other day. Because I, I didn't know the, the Olympiakos are called Olympiakos Piraeus. It turns out that was their full name, it seemed. Oh, the other one's in Greece. Well, actually, no, there's a few. There's uh, Olympiakos Nicosia in Cyprus. There's Olympiakos Volos, also in Greece. Boston Olympiakos in the USA. And then there's, there's loads more. But yeah, Olympiakos Piraeus are the good one. And uh, that's probably why they managed to beat Victoria Pilsen 4-0 and mean that we don't have to pronounce their name any longer. So the God Rod remains in Greece. Yeah, it's got an uncertain future. I'm looking to see what the Greek league table was like last season because I get the feeling that our Olympiakos friends basically won every match. They've got to play in Europe though, so it could end up back um, back on these shores. Yeah, they came second. They won 24, drew three, lost three. But they, uh, yeah, PAOK, as I like to call them, didn't lose a game. So there's a chance that it could be taken off them in the Greek domestic match. Slim, but I think we're just going to have to keep an eye on them in Europe and see, follow its uh, its progress around the Champions League, which is a good way of saying we're going to talk about it less. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Oh my word, we've got a league match. Finally, the season is upon us and it should put a few nerves to rest, shouldn't it, one way or another? Would we, you feel less nervous if we got thumped 5-0? No, but at least we would know what to expect from this season early doors, whereas we're not. And as I have predicted in the last couple of weeks, it's going to be a comfortable 4-0 stroll. Well, they've not they've not had a good pre-season, have they? Let's be honest. They seem to have got a complete spanking in the last game. Their main defender is on his way out. They're a shambles. Their manager's an idiot. Chairman's a crook. Not oh, necessarily forgot a crook. About the chairman. Let's rephrase the chairman. Maybe rephrase the um, crook. He's, he's an offshore type gentleman. No, I'd forgotten that you think he's a crook. I'd, he's a, he'd escape my memory. But yes, you thinking he's a crook is, is back to my mind now. Lawyers. Even their best player, they managed to keep hold of their... Uh, Best player, Antoine Semenyo, or rather the good one that's not been sold. And he's suspended for this game. So I see absolutely no reason why we shouldn't uh, do a Crystal Palace on them and thump them 5-0. I've just realised Berardi's suspended, isn't he? Oh, best player. And we <laughs> and we don't have any centre-halves. Cooper and White. Not with our new fabled three at the back. Well, exactly. We only need one and then a couple of full-backs pretending to be centre-halves. So it's absolutely fine. Doesn't matter. Stuart Dallas can be a full-back in this formation. Pat Bamford can be a full-back. The full-backs but- are probably the least known positions for us, aren't they? I, I don't honestly have a clue who's going to start there. If we're even going to play with any, because it could be that if it is that three at the back, then we've just got wing backs who are sort of midfielders, but then also sort of wingers. So like if it's Barry, could Barry Douglas be playing sort of up front? I think everybody basically plays up front for Bielsa, don't they? In a roundabout way. It's vamos, vamos. That was the striking thing at this point last year, that Luke Ayling was quite often our furthest player forward. I've never seen that before. In pre even the pre-season games, you, you're just watching the goals and stuff from last year, you just sort of see him there on the edge of the six-yard box. You'd be like, what is he doing? Well, that's what we had from Alioski in the rest of the season when he was, uh, um, well, actually, yeah, you saw it quite often where it would be one full-back crossing to the other full-back and scoring, uh, which, which was the game at the end of the season when it happened. And it was uh, Stuart Dallas scored and came in at the back post from across from Luke Ayling. Beautiful. That's what we want. Full backs on their goal line, chipping the ball to each other and Pat Bamford in the middle, just watching. Because <laughs> he doesn't have to get involved if we're scoring goals. It's fine. I'm, I'm perfectly happy with Bamford not scoring a single goal this year if we win every game. Uh, yeah, I would consider that his work well done. That'd be a success. Yes. How are you feeling about Sunday? You nervous? A um, little bit, yeah. But I think we'll probably be all right. I feel the same. That I I know we we said on the, the Graham Smith cast that we shouldn't read too much into Bristol's pre-season, but I've actually got the quotes from Lee Johnson after their 5-0 defeat to Palace, where he says that um, their back four was grumpy, stroppy and unenthusiastic, and that he's angry there were four or five 
attitude errors, which is great. We're going up against a grumpy, stroppy and enthusiastic back four with a formation that might have eight attackers. That's fine. That's only going one way, really, isn't it? And when uh, someone is suspended... Did they want Bailey, Bailey Peacock Farrell? I think he'd fit in quite well with that. Well, their goalkeeper's injured as well, yeah. so they can have a they can have another one. Their club captain and defender Bailey Wright's had a knock, so might not make the game. Adam Webster's going to Brighton for twenty million. It's brilliant. We're going to absolutely ruin them. Well, I've said four nil. What are you vibing, Moscow? Twenty. Twenty goals to nil. What are you really vibing? Let's do it. I think we're going to do four, five, or six. I think we're going to go out there with just a massive statement. It'll be a team. It'll be a lineup none of us suspects. It'll be a performance better than we've ever dreamed of, and it will be a scoreline that will terrify the rest of the division, if not the country. We need a big a big win, don't we? Because then it means we can stay top of the league all season. Yeah. Starting with a 2-0 win, you're going to be sixth or something. You need to you need to pitch in with a big 4-5-0 at the start, and then we can say we led start to finish. I checked who scored.com for their pre-season analysis, and what they told me is that Bristol City are currently fifth in the league and we're 12th. <laughs> Uh, there's no other details so far, but that's that's the update on the stats the stats websites at the moment. The disappointment because there was that thing last year about uh, the Premier League uh, title race and saying it it changed hands between Man City and Liverpool more times than ever. It's because they were playing on different days, and so I don't want the fact that we have to play on Sunday to count against us leading the league from the very first day to. The end. I think we've just got to do it by rounds and we just say, like, yeah, after each round of game, Leeds United were top. I think by Sunday night, I think we'll be top of the league by six points because we'll, we'll beat Bristol City so, so thoroughly that the, uh, the new EFL executive with Sean Harvey out of the way, they'll start rewarding attacking football and financially prudent teams and say, if you can do that without spending a penny until the, the bill for Costa comes due next year, then... Yeah, we'll double your points every game. Maybe bonus points like in rugby or something like that. But only for Leeds. Yeah, absolutely. And the other reason why we're going to uh, win is because everyone's been terrified with pre-season. So what we'll do is we, we've we've kind of bottomed out at the end of pre-season. We'll go through the roof on Sunday. Expectations will then skyrocket and it'll be downhill from there all the way to May. I made a joke after the Stoke performance about... Um, I think it was because of the way I'd written my match report and I tweeted it saying, like, if it sounds at the end of this match report, like I think we're going to win the league by March, that's because I do. It was obviously a joke, but then what's funny is that at the end of the season, the Huddersfield Town fan had screenshot it and came back and went, there's an example of Leeds fans. They thought they were going to win the league in, in uh, August. And I was like, did you re- do you really think I thought genuinely thought we were going to win the league after the first game? Whereas I'm looking forward to Sunday when I will. Huddersfield fans don't, they don't really get new ones. No, exactly. It's like, I just didn't understand why anybody would take that seriously when it's, it's like, oh, you're just, you're backtracking now. Because they're idiots. Basically, yes. The dogs are more intelligent over there. I don't know why they all just don't run away. <laughs> How many Huddersfield um, like blogs and stuff do you read to try and find I mean, does, little nuggets of information? To be fair, actually, Down at the Mac used to have quite a funny running cartoon about Terry the Terrier. And he's, you remember when he was reincarnated as like an anime uh, animal and they had him taking over from the old one that looked like Bungle and uh, Bungle like sort of being forced to leave very sadly and it was genuinely funny like it was um, I quite enjoyed that but they've still, got, not... the, they've still got the buff terrier is he still there? Well they've got that um, the stylized one that they put on the badge last season the is Neto now one. Uh, yeah and is now on top of their newly redesigned crest where they've moved they've moved the three stars inside the crest um, 
which is, there's a lot of flannel about it, but it's basically so that because there's rules about how big your badge can be on a shirt, if the, by moving them inside, they made the whole thing bigger. And cheaper to produce. Yeah. You're not stitching stars on the top, which um, I, I can only think how much that has cost the uh, local economy um, over the years. I hope it's drained every penny that they actually won. What did they even win for winning those titles in the 1920s? Did they get like a, a five pound book token or something? So Cigarette case. <laughs> a meat voucher. The extra rations. So where was I going with that? Yeah, the dog just still looks stupid. They've still basically got a dog on the shirts. And we're playing Bristol. Bristol City's new badge, though, quite a stylish Robin. That's nice. They've done well there. And you can catch our reaction to the Bristol game. Straight afterwards, we're going to be doing uh, reaction casts, aren't we? I'm going to call them the match ball, which is very, very exciting. So look out for our first match ball post-Bristol City, which should be out on Sunday. Yeah, hopefully we won't get uh, diverted into talking about Huddersfield Town's badge like five minutes after the game is finished. But you never know. That's going to be part of the fun of listening, isn't it? And it'll hopefully be a little more upbeat than our last one. Yeah, the grief cast. Yeah, yeah. That was sad, wasn't it? It was a very sad evening. That, But let's move on from that. We're going to keep that little um, brand name in the locker, the grief ball, just in case we need it in future. Highly likely, isn't it? Highly likely. Now, we did kind of um, touch on our expectations for this coming season in the Graham Smith podcast as well, but it's probably worth just laying them down here again. What are you feeling then for this season? Because I'm go- I'm all in. I'm top two. I'm champions. Centenary season. Again, we touched on it in that podcast about the seasons that start with nines leading into zeros. We do all right in those. Because it's a square ball anniversary, as we linked it to then correctly. I'm the same. I think the more, the closer we get to it, the more relaxed I'm feeling, I feel there's been a lot of hoo-ha, are we, and when you, you kind of clarify everything down, like, are we so much weaker at the back when we've effectively sold Pontus Janssen and replaced him with a defender that Bielsa prefers? And on this, I watched, because um, everybody fears the height of Middlesbrough are the one with the big lads. We played them at Elland Road with Berardi and Cooper at the back, and there was a hilarious clip when we were defending a corner and Berardi disappeared between Ayala and, was it Flint, the other really tall centre-half that they had? And he, he literally just, you could not see him behind them. Drew nil-nil. We played with Pontus Janssen at the Riverside, and it was a 1-1 draw, but there were three crosses, one from a corner, maybe two from a corner, that were some of the most terrifying ways of defending crosses. We failed, basically. Pontus didn't attack the ball. There were three free headers that they should have scored from. So with Pontus, we... I know, I'm not convinced we were as good at defending against high balls as people think. We maybe romanticise him in memory. I think we're going to be fine with that. And then we've added Helder Costa. And if you take the argument that the difference between uh, going up and not last season was not signing Daniel James in January, we've signed a better player than Daniel James who will provide what he was going to do and we'll have him from the start of the season. So we'll win the league by January and it won't matter who we do or don't sign. Bold proclamation. Uh, what's interesting with Middlesbrough, though, under Jonathan Woodgate, who's obviously very green as a coach, they've been trying to play like this kind of really stylish football in pre-season. So that's going to be an interesting shift to see how we, we deal with them this season. But also, do you think perhaps Bielsa and way, the way that Norwich played, the way that Sheffield United played, has kind of reframed the championship a little bit for this season? Because Birmingham got rid of Monk because they were supposed to be angling for more stylish football and possibly less involvement from Gary's agent. I was going to say there are a few other reasons for that one as well, which maybe we can't quite go into. There's no point, is there? There's <laughs> yeah. no point in risking that. It's it's fine if, if Monk's lawyers discuss it with Chilino and every, all the other interested parties. But do you think there is a genuine shift towards more stylish football now then? I think there seems to be. I mean, it, it's one of these things that goes in 
cycles because it's worked, there's now be a push towards it. And then, you know, Sam Allardyce will take the West Brom job in October and they'll just absolutely shit out of the way to promotion. And then all of a sudden it'll go back the other way and people will want Tony Pulis back. And, and I just realised Neil Warnock's still there at Cardiff, obviously. Well, he's the lone one. When you look through, it is now a division of these either foreign managers or up and coming managers like Lee Bowyer and Jonathan Woodgate both being in the division, both fancying themselves as like, you know, they're wearing suits on the touchline and all this. Huddersfield have got that. They're still, they still think that they're David Wagner's like Champions League elect. They're all trying to sort of be Bielsa, but we've actually got Bielsa. And the only unreconstructed bastards that remain are Millwall and Warnock. So I, I think building our entire back four or back three or back one or whatever it's going to be around uh, having big lads who can defend against two teams like if if we end up losing to, uh, it's like we're saying, if Bamford doesn't score and we win every game, it's fine. If we lose to Cardiff and Millwall twice, but we win every other game, I'm absolutely fine with that. If it just if it doesn't work against them, but it works against every other team, then I don't see that particularly as a problem. Warnock can have his little wins, um, and he said today apparently he's retiring at the end of the season. Hasn't he been saying that since? Weren't we his last job? Yes, he's had six jobs since then. Um, and But no, he says he's definitely, this is the one. One last challenge. One last challenge. I mean, if they do get promoted, he's not going to retire and not go into the Premier League again. This is what keeps happening. I don't think he will, because I think he knows deep down he's not good enough for it now. I think he'll go at the end of this season. He'll, leave, he'll want to leave with glory if they go up. Yeah, maybe. Rather than another relegation, because he will inevitably get relegated. But But would he trade that just for the chance of another year being pretending to be mates with Jürgen? And being paid yes. Premier League wages. Is this uh, me and Pep? Oh, I, had a, I had a glass of wine with Pep after the game. And uh, he's got a lot of respect for the way I play. And uh, he's glad that I stayed in it for another year. You know, he was, he was going to be sorry for, sorry that I'd be, I'd be a loss to the Premier League. He, he rang me. He didn't ring you. He asked me not to go. <laughs> he said, come on, give it one more go. No, no, he asked you not to come. <laughs> he said, please just let, uh, let Kevin Blackwell be in charge. I know he's the real brains of the operation. Michael, what are your um, feelings on this then? We're saying top two. I'll obviously be betting against it just as, as insurance, but I, I feel almost bad saying it because it's the official club line, but continuity, I know it is important and we have got it and it's a rare thing. Like Norwich and Sheffield United, they'd had mediocre seasons and then went up. We've had a really, really good season and now won't go up. <laughs> but we should. We should. The, the, the basis is all there. The players all understand it. We've not lost play anyone other than Janssen who in many ways was actually tactically probably the most simple part of that team. His job was really to just win headers and do defensive stuff. He didn't have to particularly do any of the complicated Bielsa switching positions and uh, overloading on the wings or anything. So it should be better than last year, which does mean top two. You're saying that with a note of reluctance <laughs> in your voice. Go on, just say it. It's fine. It should, because it should mean that. You're in a safe space now. Go on. Yeah, go on then. We'll go up, I suppose. If we have to. <laughs> So we've moved this bit to the back end of the podcast now, finish on a high, heroes and villains, where we pick out the people who have brought joy or hindrance to our last week as Leeds United fans. We'll start off with the Ken Bates Villainy Award, named in honour of Ken, who brought us plenty of misery across the years, and he gets the first nomination. What do we have uh, in terms of a reason this time? It's a fleeting one. It's almost like a glancing blow, but it's a two-for-one. You know Reverend Richard Coles? The uh, the communards keyboard player turned radio presenter slash vicar. I do now. Well, him anyway. He just mentioned a story on Twitter that he said he was once in the boardroom boardroom at Old Trafford and he was alone with Sir Bobby Charlton and Ken Bates and. 
desperately trying to think of something to say. He said, I love the way that Chelsea Blue and United Red clash so. And they just stared at me with contempt for what felt like an age. So Ken Bates and Bobby Charlton for not being nicer to the guest in the boardroom, you horrible old twerps. Particularly a holy man as well and disrespecting uh, the church. Is not he good. might have only been the keyboard player in the communards at this point. I don't know what part of uh, history he was in the boardroom at Old Trafford. But you still, you treat somebody with respect. He wrote Small Town Boy and played the keyboards on it. So that's what, what does Ken Bates ever sung apart from uh, that thing with the three tenors at Elland Road. Do you remember? There's a horrible, horrible memory. None of that is in uh, is in my book, by the way. If any of you is fearing that this my book about the 100 years of history dwells in any way on the, the grosser aspects of Ken Bates. There's the is there a Rod Stewart chapter? There is no, the foreplay and slow arousal is quoted, but you can, you can skip that page quite easily. There's 450 other ones to read. 450 pages, 150 of them Bailey Peacock Farrell, 150 of them Ken Bates, and then 50 pages squeezes in the other 100 years. You want to know what my next book is? It'll be the, the Bailey Peacock Farrell story. I'm working on it. Okay, that's fine for for Ken. Who else do we want to uh, to nominate? Jermaine Beckford's dad. If Jermaine Beckford did um, an EFL podcast, turns out he's a scummer. His dad or Jermaine Beckford? Oh, dad. okay. Jermaine Beckford, very clear that he's now a Leeds fan. Good. Was an Arsenal fan growing up. He said to wind up his dad. Um, which was quite nice. So he thinks he's a prick too. But yeah, just thought of throwing those unknown information before. It's interesting that because my dad made me a Leeds fan, probably just to wind me up. Yes, very true. How's, um, how are you getting on with the Spurs lad, by the way? We're, we're still continuing to work on him. Uh, my wife thinks it's only right and fair that he chooses for himself who he supports. Wrong. Uh, I, I, again, I, I agree with you. Also, what has right and fairness got to do with it? In that case, your wife's having a nomination and yes. your son. We should point out this is not, it's not the Hague. You know, it's we don't need NATO coming in declaring what is human rights and uh, and what's fair. It's supporting Leeds United instead of Spurs. The thing is, even though he's only coming round for eight, he's kind of trolling me with it now because he knows it winds me up. So yeah, I don't mind you putting him in here. So it's it's mother and son. Yep. Okay. As uh, that's Paul McCartney's song, isn't it? Mother and son reunion at White Hart Lane. It's a terrible thing to see. Another reference there for the uh, for the kids. Our youth audience absolutely uh, ballooning with this. I saw a clip of Paul McCartney the other day on stage with Jay-Z. So I'm sure that the kids will know exactly who Paul McCartney is. He's the old bloke who was near Jay-Z. Who else then? Who are we nominating? Uh, us. The closure of last week's podcast. We had the live news about the uh, the shock surprise friendly that we were playing against um, Al Itihad. And we uh, we rather dismissed their, their prospects because in our ignorance. Um, but the fact that I've since discovered that they were well, one, they beat us four, two. Um, so they're actually getting nominated as well, but that they have a uh, 3.7 million Twitter followers did make me feel like I should get back in my box. If I'd been on, I'd have, I could have given you half an hour about them. Do you want to do it now? We've got, nah, we've got time. It's, nah, it's, it's kind of over an hour probably now. We don't want to, we don't want to go on about them too much, do we? But I do know an awful lot about them. Were they, uh, effective in the, the four, two win over Leeds? Was it their strongest, uh, 11 that they put out? Yes. I can give you a fact about Al Isihad if you want. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine whose wife speaks Arabic says it means like union. Okay. That's my fact. It's a good fact. Um, but yeah, they're getting nominated as well for having the temerity to beat us 4-2. That's not, that's not the way you, uh, you, you behave as guests. We're talking about um, a polite guest being uh, criticised by Bobby Charlton and Ken Bates before. I think um, Al Isihad went uh, the other way instead of making a, a nice quip about the colours of the shirts. They went and won. That's not fair. Who else we got? Robbie Keane. Ah, Michael. The uh, ex-Leeds United uh, striker, which is the link, 
now first team coach at Middlesbrough with Jonathan Woodgate, who we were just discussing, did a what's been described as a no-nonsense interview in the Daily Mail that Sean Hogan alerted us to on Twitter. The interviewer wasn't paying due regard to Robbie Keane's new career and was asking him questions about how his uh, character as a player and as a person might be going through into his uh, coaching style as to whether he would be leading sing-songs. And apparently he was not happy about the uh, crap questions. I think we have some audio of the interview available that we've managed to exclusively get. Which one's the, which one's the Robbie Keane? Let's see how many different parts of Ireland you can offend yeah. today. Well, we, we spoke to um, Graham Smith yesterday. He was Northern Irish, wasn't he? So there might be a bit of that in it. Um, or it could just be all over the place, but let's have a go. <laughs> what the fuck? I'm not a clown. I'm not here to entertain people. What's Singh got to do with me being a coach? I like a laugh and a joke. We don't want people coming in here, miserable fucks. We want them to be happy, but doing it done properly. It's a serious job we're doing. I'm not answering these stupid questions. If you want to talk about me being here, no problem. But I'm not getting into crap questions like that. This I'm question. not interested. Just, Why whoa, talk whoa. about that? This, this isn't is, about that. <laughs> about the Christmas party at Spurs, this no, was. it isn't about me in Middlesbrough. Anyway... Do you know the full story? I've never spoken about it. We had a Christmas party, done. It's over. Simple. Do you imagine this him probably on Boxing Day with the kids? Like, oh, yesterday was fun, was it? It's done now. I really liked my presents. <laughs> Good. But don't fucking come, come to me, want me to play with them. It's Boxing Day. What I quite liked about the other part of this interview was he, he really didn't like any comparison with Roy Keane at this, whereas he sounds exactly like Roy Keane in this. Do we have a winner from that uh, selection? I think Robbie Keane could find it in himself to be a little bit sweeter. There's no reason to be so angry. He's got a good job. He's had a good career. Not a clown. He's not a fucking clown. But is he a villain? That's the question. I'm almost tempted to give it to Ken Bates, but I know he can't. No. The other part of this was he was going on about um, kids putting in lots of practice and how that's how he got to the top by going and practicing things that he really needs to do to get better at. And I thought, well, you never quite cracked one-on-ones, did you? Did you not think of... <laughs> maybe learning to score when you put through on the goalkeeper by a, a brilliant McPhail through ball. So maybe it's for never finishing a one-on-one. Okay. That's in that reason. Right? And don't forget my wife and kid are in this as well. Oh, oh I forgot about them. Oh, right, yeah, they win. For preferring Robbie Keane at Spurs to Leeds. Absolutely. Well done, darlings. <laughs> on to the Andy Hughes Hero Award, symbolic of somebody who has made us happy, who uh, has brought out the best in us this week, made us smile. Who have we got? Atherton Collieries. For putting Ali had back in their box, Michael's favourite team, and beating them 2-0. That's what they needed after beating us, is to play Atherton Collieries and lose, which um, is possibly the most disturbing series of results from our pre-season. But because it was all behind closed doors and nobody knows anything, although apparently that game got a big crowd, we don't need to uh, worry at all that um, in the playground charts if uh, one team beat another and then the other team beat them, so they would win the Atherton Collieries are, are going to be promoted to the Premier League. Where is Atherton? Lancashire. I think it's near Bolton. It's basically, they were, apparently they had a training camp out there and didn't want to travel too far for a match. So they just arranged one with Atherton Collieries and lost. So well done to the Miners. Who else? Jermaine Beckford. Uh, again, from that same interview, just absolutely loves Leeds. I felt, even though he's 35 and admitted himself at the end that he's probably not going to get another club because he's got knackered knees, still wanted to re-sign him by the end of it. So can we get him back to do something else? Can he not stay at Bury? I mean, no. he wouldn't have to play for them because all the game's going to be cancelled <laughs> until they go bust. But if he can maybe get himself on a penny a week contract out of whatever's left in their <laughs> bank account until it all 
He'll come and do some of the hospitality and that, that'll be fine. We'll still be paying. He'll still belong to us. Yeah. I want him back anyway. I miss him. And he misses he misses us as well, which is uh, important. He's never stopped belonging to us really. Even the Nigel Pearson hauling him off for Leicester because he wouldn't score against us is still probably one of my favourite memories of Jermaine Beckford after all the goals he scored for us. In much the same way, Bryn Law has always kind of belonged to us in a quiet way. He's back to do the commentary on LUTV and hearing that news announced, that made me smile because it reminded me of all the happy memories of the 1990s when I was young and free and, you know, able to just enjoy Leeds United when we were quite good. We had the beautiful clip on the extra ball just the other week of him commentating on uh, Yeboah's goal, which is the better than Barry Davies version. And, uh, and yeah, when I was growing up outside of Leeds and I used to point the radio point the aerial at West Yorkshire and just about be able to get radio Leeds commentaries. So Ian Dennis and then Bryn Law with Norman Hunter. Norman Hunter is the only person I've actually ever chased after to get an autograph. I think when I was about 20, he was before a Champions League match and I saw him and I, I ran down the back of the cop. He was clearly busy. I chased after Norman Hunter and got his autograph because him and Bryn Law were, they explained football to me in the 1990s and I'm very glad to have him back explaining to it to another generation and us because we're still about. Any more contenders? Jonathan Woodgate. Okay. As a flip to uh, Robbie Keane being so horrible to uh, an interviewer, um, I interviewed Jonathan Woodgate the other week and he was very nice to me, a bit intimidating in that he, uh, I was sent by 442 to ask him about all the managers he's ever worked with and um, he grabbed my notebook and started checking off to see if I'd got all the managers listed correctly and pointed out that I'd forgotten Howard Wilkinson, who managed him for England under-18s. But I feel like I passed the test. And yeah, he was very nice and uh, didn't swear at me, um, answered all the questions, was really into the concept. And uh, um, so there's no reason for anybody to make fun of his Middlesbrough accent, unless you can do one. I don't really know what Middlesbrough is. It's just sort of like a shit Yorkshire. It's like a shit Yorkshire Geordie mix, isn't it? Yeah. Come back to me. I'll, I'll try it again. And I can say that because my dad's from Stockton-on-Tees, so it's it's applicable. Whereas my radio job covers that area, so I'll be doing no such thing. I'm not <laughs> stupid. And shall we pick a winner from those then? Who we got? Bryn Law. It's just nice to have him back. Makes me feel young-ish again. It almost made up for not signing any players when I saw that. I think they could have made more of it on the Leeds United. It's like Helder Costa and Bryn Law. It's been a great summer. And we kept Calvin Phillips so far. Yeah, I'm happy to have uh, Bryn Law back. Yeah, it'll be nice to have him back, won't it? That familiar voice just reminding you of some good times. Yeah, congratulations then. Well done, Bryn Law. Well, we'll return with The Match Ball, our new post-match podcast, Unfiltered Raw Emotion. It's what happens, doesn't it, after the uh, after the Leeds games? We will be here doing that, uh, speaking to you after Bristol City. It will be free. It'll be on the, on the main podcast feed, so just watch out for that. And if you're not subscribed, subscribe now, and then it'll automatically pop up, which is just the best way to get us... Uh, tickling your eardrums. Also, look out for issue one of the magazine. That is out for the Nottingham Forest game. You can get subscriptions, uh, digital or paper, at the website. And finally, the final little sales message is the extra ball. If you want to get behind us, you like what we do, and it's all the people who subscribe to the extra ball, that means we can bring you all these extra podcasts, and we always try and reward them with more podcasts too. Uh, Look out for the extra ball uh, on the website, thesquareball.net forward slash the extra ball. This is the last time we will speak to you before the season kicks off. Final words, how are we feeling? Are we ready? I'm excited for recording the match ball on Sunday evening straight after the game with the Championship Trophy here. I think we're just going to go and get it and just have it in the, in the room with us because it'll be ours and we're not going to let go of it. Have we got the open top bus booked, given we've got the trophy? Do that on Monday. 
We'll get on top of all that and we'll speak to you after the Bristol game. Thanks for listening. We'll speak to you soon. The Square Ball Podcast. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quinn's is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.